Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Theology and Insanity, your weekly Catholic podcast on theology, culture, politics, you name it. We'll talk about everything. I'm Dave Van Vickle, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Michael Cirilla. Mike, how you doing today? I'm great, Dave. How are you? Good. Mike, I was wondering this last night. So what do you, do you have hobbies that are non-intellectual? I do. Well, uh, oh, non-intellectual. Hmm. I was going to say my, my big hobby is ham radio, but that's really, very, is that yeah, true? It is. Yeah. That's cool. I have that's a general cool. class license, but that's it's awesome. very intellectual and geeky because it's all electrical engineering type right. stuff. And right. yeah. So do I have one that's not uh, uh, geeky or heady? Well, that I one love works. That one works with for my me. kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love playing sports with my boys and girls, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. No, ham yeah. radio is cool, though. That's a, I remember a few times, you know, getting to like hang out with people who had them. I don't know anything about it, but yeah, that's a serious deal. Yeah, it's long distance communications. It's good in case yeah. of uh, yeah. the stuff hits the fan and then, uh, right. you know. Right. Man, if the stuff hits the fan, I'm going to be in so much trouble. I, I, I uh, <laughs> was like always joke about how I'm like the worst missionary. You know, I don't, right. I like to shower. I like to know right, what right. I'm eating, all that kind of stuff. You know, yep, I'm going to yep, be in yep. trouble. But, yeah, but, uh, I think we all will be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So, how, how, how often do you get to do it, though? I w- I've been working on it since this last COVID year of craziness and weirdness and shutdowns yeah. and stuff. I've been working on it daily uh, f- for for a while now, uh, and I'm in a network of of Catholics uh, across the country trying to set up comms in case really? things, things go down. Yeah, that this uh, is other awesome. hams. So yeah. this is more than a hobby. Then I mean, it's I mean, it's well, yeah, fun, yeah, but it's more but than it's a fun. Hobby. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not yeah. for pay. It's you know, right, right. That's cool. Yeah, but so my uh, so I I'm not like a I don't I wouldn't say I'm I'm prepared. Although I, you know, like when COVID hit, I I bought I think I was the source of the toilet paper shortage because I'm still <laughs> using the toilet paper that yes. we bought. You know, when when that I'm not, happened, we're not you know? preppers either. We're not prepared. We will be in trouble. I mean, I'm, I might have a radio that works on solar power, but that's it. Right. Know? If that happens, you know. Yeah. 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 The the um. So we have. I don't. I'm not. I don't like guns. I'm not a gun person. But we have a lot of them, just because I don't like people telling me that yeah, I don't yeah. that I can't yeah, have yeah, them or yeah, something like yeah. that. You know. Um, but yeah. But my my boys, they they desperately wanna they wanna like learn how to shoot guns and stuff like that. And I I hate guns. I I don't like. Be, they make me uncomfortable. I don't like being yeah, around yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Like that. But, well, that's cool. Ham radio. Well, that I'll have to I'll have to look into that a little bit because that's a that's a neat hobby. What about you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, I like to work out. I, nice. I like, I, so my, my skeleton in the closet is I love all kinds of fighting. So I watch a lot of fights. Nice. <laughs> I watch nice. a lot nice. of fights and, and stuff like that. And, uh, have you seen the movie, the Cinderella man? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My, my boys I, love that. movie. I love they it. Love yeah. It. We, yeah. we love it. It's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. My, my boys. True love story. It. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's funny. There's a, there's a modern movie that did not do well called um uh it's called warrior and uh it's about these two brothers and their dad's an alcoholic and it's like it it's it's centered around mixed martial arts so it it you would think it was very cheesy but right. it's actually like this beautiful moral story of this family coming wow. back together wow, yeah wow. and how all of a sudden it was just like the the pressure of this fight you know kind of brought them back I don't know. anyways this 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 summer this last summer during covid when i was off I started teaching the kids Taekwondo and they loved it. Nice, and the best nice. part is my daughter, who's six, she was the best. 
she oh, she's just like yeah she's got like a killer instinct so Beautiful. yeah we have a we have an actual topic to talk about today though yes, so so right. i so i thought one of the things you know one of the shocking things that kind of rocked the catholic news uh, in the last few years is this survey that came out that said basically only one-third of Catholics in America surveyed believe what the church teaches about the true presence of the Eucharist, believe that it's you know the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I think for, for those of us who work for the church, for those of us who are faithful Catholics going to Mass all the time, you know, uh, this was like a, a body blow majorly because we're we're thinking like well why would you even be catholic right i mean this is the source and summit of our faith it's the center of all things right i mean this is yeah you know, pope john paul even said i mean this is what the the universe was created for right is communion with god like in this in this beautiful sacrament so so you know what was going on so i thought it would be good today to kind of talk about well what does the church actually teach about it um and where did we get how did we get to this point yeah, as well yeah. you know no that's a great topic there there was some Real, uh, I think it's extremely complex. <clears throat> Everybody's mileage varies. At the same time, I think you can see trends that contribute to the problem and people who suffer from uh, being misled or, or whatever. But uh, um, our producer, can I say that? Yeah. Adam yeah. noted yeah. <laughs> noted that uh, when we were discussing this, that a majority of Catholic of church going Catholics. So I appreciate this, this Adam. A majority of 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 uh, Weekly church-going Catholics, they attend mass weekly or more. Sixty, a majority, but it's sixty-three <laughs> percent believe the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. Right, these are abysmal, abysmal numbers. It's horrible. It should be a hundred percent. It should right. be a hundred percent. But at least sixty-three percent is what better than thirty-three percent, which is what yeah. the entire body of Catholics sampled in this twenty nineteen Pew study. Uh, you know, 33% believed in the real presence. So w- one of the contributing factors that come to my mind immediately, but it's only the, some of the older listeners here who, who would kind of have living memory of this, but the younger listeners may know about it. Um, and that's wonderful that, that it's not as common, but it was common in the late 60s, but especially the 70s, experimental masses where they'd use all sorts of funny things to consecrate. And in fact, some of the more radical examples <clears throat> were... Uh, frankly, some Jesuits. Um, there are a lot of good ones too, um, but uh, some of the, some Jesuits uh, at Fordham and elsewhere in the United States and in Europe uh, tried to consecrate things like not just honey wheat bread, but pizza, potato chips, and chocolate chip cookies. And it's and it's horribly sacrilegious and it's funny sounding. It's like ridiculous. I'll say this in class. I'll tell this to students in class. And they'll laugh. They're, they'll, they'll, they're, they're hooting in laughter. Like, this is not... And it is. It's ridiculous. But the, the horrible thing is, it happened. And it's that kind of abuse, you know, that, uh, you know, c- contributes in a big way. Not the only thing, but one of the big way, things that contributed to a loss of a sense that, of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll say, I'll put myself on the... I have been part of the problem before because of imprecise language that I've used in the past, right? Like, so, for instance, like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure many times in talks or in catechesis that I've said, well, no, Jesus is physically present in the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, you know, it's physically present mm-hmm. in the Eucharist, which is not technically what the church teaches, right? I mean, g- give us some nuance well, it's, here. Well, the, the, what the church teaches to, is is a little, it's a little, when I say vague, not vague or ambiguous as we were talking about in the last podcast in the bad sense, 
but a little bit, uh, it leaves cer- certain unresolved questions in theology unresolved. So the Council of Trent is the, I think, most uh, recent definitive um, infallible teaching on this, and there they teach, and it's in the form of an anathema. If anyone says this, let them be condemned, but put it in a positive way. What they're saying is that the complete substance of the bread is changed into the complete substance of Christ's body, and the complete substance of the wine is changed into the complete substance of Christ's blood, okay? Um, so there's a couple things. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's very involved. I know you know this because you've studied this in theology as well. But uh, Christ's body and blood are not separated from each other. So when, you know, in his resurrected form, right? So when the bread is transformed into his body, uh, his blood, soul, and divinity come along with that con- by way of what we call concomitance. They come along okay. at the same time. Okay. okay. But the direct object of the change is from the substance of bread to the substance of his body. Now, uh, is he physically... So Trent doesn't say anything further about whether, you know, is he physically present. So there are different ways <laughs> to be physically present. How, how deep of a dive do we want to go? There are different ways. Yeah, you stop well, me. Well, I, okay? think, well I, think that's, I think that's part of the issue. Like, what you're hitting at is there's literally a... Um, I think, like... like a normal, maybe a bishop or a catechist would say like, oh my gosh, a th- you know, two thirds of the people don't believe in the presence, the true presence. Let's just tell them that that is true. But the problem is there is a certain like philosophical mm-hmm. and biblical barrier that people just don't have the literacy they need to understand what we really believe. Like, I, I and I think that was like an issue why I started using the word physical, right? Because it, it, it made it more concrete. It made it more understandable. I should have used the word sacramental, right? Or, or something yeah, like that. You, you can use physical, but it's, it's tricky, right? <clears throat> like any teacher, a catechist, evangelist, or, or a theologian, we have, to, we have to know and love our, our students, you know, yeah. um, or our audience. And, and, uh, and so uh, it's a very common thing for any of us to be able to ask a question uh, we're able to ask a, a very difficult question, but we're not yet ready to, we don't have all the pieces in place to understand the fuller answer. Right. Okay. So let's, right. let's put some of those pieces in place. So, yeah. so yeah. for example, w- one way to be physically present is what we say, we say in scholastic uh, philosophy, but the, but the Nouvelle people see this too. Okay. It's not just scholastics. Uh, one way to be physically present is to be present in extension, so I'm spread. My body is physically spread out into different. Pla- it, it, through, it, it occupies an area of space <clears throat> where one part of my body is outside of another part of my body. It's it's extended in space. Okay, and Christ in no way is present in the Eucharist like that. In other words, if you if you cut if you when the priest break fractures the host, it's not the case that one part of his body is over here on the left. And one part of Jesus' body is over here on the right. Okay, so so he he he's not physically present like that. All right, um, but that doesn't mean he's not physically present. So back to just for a second, back to the language Trent uses because I just gave the version of the anathema, the positive version of the anathema, uh, in terms of the change, right? But in the decree, it also says uh, that Christ is present: body, blood, soul, and divinity. So body and blood, right? So these are physical realities. Yeah. But what they say is it's the substance of Christ's body 
and the substance of his blood. So if you've had, uh, if those of you who are listening have had some philosophy, if you haven't, we'll, we'll try to backfill this. It's not that hard to do. And by the way, Sheed was uh, brilliant at doing this, Frank Sheed. Okay. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> there's a difference between what we call a substance and what's called an accident. By accident, we don't mean a mistake, but accident means uh, it's a literal English translation of the Latin, a cheatere, to fa- something that belongs to another thing. So a substance is a thing that exists in and of itself, and an accident is a thing that exists in another. Okay, right, right. right. So um, the features of shape of a physical body, shape is an accidental feature that resides in a substance. Right. Okay. The quantity, the quantity of a body, its weight, its size, its its length, its width, its breadth is are also accidents that inhere in the substance. Okay? So uh the color, okay, the taste, right? So the Eucharist doesn't have any of those accidents of Christ's body. It doesn't have the color of his skin showing up. We're talking about apart from Eucharistic miracles. It doesn't have the color of his skin or the color of his blood. The color is left over as an accident of the wine, which is now no longer there, but the accidents of bread and wine are still there, okay? So accidents are features that inhere in a substance. So when the church says, but but here's one more key point, the substance of a thing is the source or root from which the accidents spring. So the accidents come forth and spring forth from the substance as its root. So even if I'm not five foot, seven feet tall yet, and I'm a little kid, okay, I have the ability in my substance to become that. Do you see that? Okay. So, yeah, I, um, I remember like freshman yeah, yeah. year, Dr. Patrick Lee right. talking about horses. What makes a horse a horse was horses. Right, right. You know, right. Horses. that's right, right. And I remember being like, oh, okay, yeah. That's the, here's the point, and it's a tough point to get. Um, uh, but it's a simple point. It's a profound point. The substance of Christ's body and blood is his human being, right? It's it's his human essence, his humanness, like hoarseness is the essence of horse or substance of horse. The substance of Christ is his humanity or humanness. And his size, shape, color of his skin, color of his hair, etc., his temperature, his bodily temperature, every all those accidents and features are grounded in his substance. So when the substance becomes present... Uh, the accidents are present virtually, or we right. say, you said it, you, you said it, sacramentally. Sacramentally. Ah. So he's not, so the accident of being spread out, let's say as Jesus, six foot tall, whatever, it, it, you know, be, six foot tall is not present. How much does he weigh? A hundred and something. He, that's not present, 200 pounds, that's not present um, uh, uh, actually, okay, because if it were, when you split up the, 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 the Eucharist, his body gets split up. And yeah. you know that's not what we... most. I think most Catholics understand that's not what's happening. But because that's not happening doesn't mean he's not present in his body and blood. Right. He's present in his complete substance, humanity. And the body and blood, the physical aspects of that being spread out are not actually present. They're virtually present because they are rooted in the substance. That's Now, this is not the church's teaching. This is Aquinas. Uh, but the church does approve of how Aquinas accounts for the physical presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and this is how he accounts for it. It's largely been accepted by Thomas and non-Thomas alike that, you know, uh, Christ's body is not physically spread out in the Eucharist, and nevertheless, his body's there. How? 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 The church leaves that open. Like I said, that's the Trent didn't didn't decided not to resolve that issue, uh, but the general approbation of Aquinas's. 
a thought on this means that, you know, that's a viable option. And it's the one that makes most sense to, to me and many of us, that he's present physically, but without being spread out. He's, so how is he physically present? Sacramentally. Right. And, and doesn't, I'm pretty sure St. Thomas like makes the argument that it's almost like a mercy that the accidents aren't present because it would be, it would be crazy. Horrible to eat flesh. Right. Yeah. Doesn't he say something like that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so everything you said, I, to me, it makes perfect sense, but it also makes perfect sense why so few believe, because we are in an age of rationalism right That's now, right. right? If you can't measure it, monitor sense it, it. Yep. like sense it, right? Then it's just not real. And I, I can see that, that in a certain sense, right? I, I can see why the daily mass scores are at a higher percentage because to perceive the change happening in you, right? I mean, any yeah, of us who have received right. communion regularly, you start to realize, like, there's no way that I could do this on my own. There's absolutely right. no no way that this has to be what they're saying it is because I, I'm not able to change myself, you know? Something's changing in me. You know, um, back when in the 70s, no, Dave, you're totally, you're totally right, the, 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 the fruits of it, right? Right. Uh, and, and if you're receiving the Eucharist frequently... Um, there's a high chance you're going to encounter that. In the 70s, when a lot of this junk was going on with the, with the clown nose masses and the yeah. disrespect of the Eucharist or even f- invalid consecrations of things that you can't actually consecrate, um, at the, the Lord uh, was preserving the faith in the Catholic Church through the charismatic renewal and through traditional, whether it's traditionalists or not, Lefebvre or not, but like more traditional-minded people, both of those groups, which are off, they're often at odds, aren't they? But they, I don't think they have to be. Here, here, here at Franciscan, they're not, by the way. Um, we, we have a nice, you know, mix of both traditional and charismatic here. It's really nice. Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn calls them tradismatics. Matics, or, that's or, a thing or, now. Or, or Trentecostals. That, that is a thing now. That's a thing. Tradismatic is a thing. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I speak at a lot of charismatic conferences. You can't, I can't tell you how many times now, as opposed to five years ago, you know, mass starts and mantillas come out and all the, you know, people are receiving on their knees, on the tongue, right? All this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, one thing I was going to say about, you know, you saying that they, they, a lot of it was preserved on right. these two kind of op- not opposite, but they think they're opposite spectrums. It's kind of like they're backing into each other, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's amazing how much they have in common that right. they will not they don't see because they're like they're walking isn't that, backwards. Isn't that funny, know? right? You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But but but, but uh, another thing that they share in common too is is uh, a real appreciation that we are in a spiritual war. Yeah, we're in a spiritual battle, yep. and the the old mass. Uh, some of those folks who like it like, and I like it too. We go to both. Uh, they like the powerful prayers that that pray to God as a dread warrior to defend us in the spiritual battle against Satan and against sin. And in the charismatic renewal, that stuff just came spontaneously because we, right. you know, my wife Laura and I, as you know, we've been part of both. You know, uh, right. we're not traditionalist community, but we've gone to traditional mass, and we all both have benefited very much from the charismatic renewal. Me, since uh, five years old, at least, if not a little earlier than that, uh, back in the day in the Georgetown uh, prayer group was going, and Mother of God community in Maryland. But in any event, yes, it was those communities that preserved uh, not just knowledge of the real presence, but a, but a genuine worship of of Jesus. You know, sometimes the more horizontal uh, masses that uh, focus more on us, you know, yeah. um, uh, or the personality they, of the priest. Yeah, no, right, right, and uh, th- then you can you're not really realizing I'm worshiping the Eucharist. 
Right. And if it's bread, I'm committing idolatry. I mean, they don't... Pl- for all the rationalism, which you're totally right, like it, it's a it's a scientism, like I can't empirically measure it, so therefore, how could it has to be a symbol of his body? But for all that, do you not realize we are worshiping him in this event? And if and if it's bread, we're committed, we are worshiping a piece of bread. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's scary. It's yeah. it's paganism. So okay, so, so let's let me go back to one thing you, you mentioned. So, you know, you had these like crazy masses where people concentrating cookies or pizza or something like that. So I I think I, it would be a good a fruitful discussion to see like what actually has to be present for it to be for it to become Jesus. Like we have the the character of the priesthood, right? Pre, priestly character. So you got to have a got to have the proper minister. Yep. Okay, Pro- proper minister. The 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 words are the right words, yeah, and those can vary from right to right. Okay, right. Well, yeah, in the sense that a little bit, yeah. Okay, right. In the sense that I mean, there's translations now, right? I mean, it, yeah, yeah. How does it? Well, matter? I don't want to get us too deep into the talk. Okay, pass. okay, okay. There are some Eastern rites where the words of consecration initially were not um, the words of institution. Okay, uh, okay. but the church, and this is an anomaly. Um, and okay. then pretty early on that was resolved, and they made it more explicit. So the priest then would say, this is my body. Okay, but that's, a, that's rare. I mean, for the most part, all the rites are using the words of institution, but the prayers in the canon before those words and after sometimes vary. But yeah, no, for, you're just asking precisely for transubstantiation. So you're right, right minister, the right words, keep going. Okay, and then the right, uh, shoot... I can't remember what stuff. we call them. This is, yeah, stuff. seventh grade. Stuff, matter. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the matter, the matter. Okay, yeah. so the matter. Um, right, so... It, so, te- so, so it has to just... be wheat bread, not rice cakes. It has to be wheat. Uh, whether leavened or unleavened depends on the right. And it has to be grape wine, not grape juice. And it can't be, you know, sake, rice wine, you know, or beer or whatever. Does it have to be, like, the because the wheat... The wheat I mean that opens up a big door. Like, does it have to be specifically for that purpose? Does w- w- say, uh, ask that a different way? Like the okay, so the bread, like I mean, wheat bread. There's that's an umbrella of there's thousands of different kinds of wheat bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. and and even like it opens up like honey wheat bread and things like that. Right. Right. So wh- so where do we okay. draw the line? Is yeah. there a line drawn? Or? Well, yeah, okay. there is. There sure is. Um, so. <laughs> It's it's complicated, um, <clears throat> and and the church herself has always exercised the authority to determine, from the very beginning, to determine the proper manner and form of the sacraments, and sometimes that can change a little bit, not much, because Jesus established all the sacraments. That's the dogma of the church that Christ established all seven of them. Uh, how he did it is differently for each sacrament. Okay, and there are different schools of thought. For example, in confirmation, the Bible's not ex- explicitly clear about how he did that. So there's a Thomistic school. A Bonaventurian school, etc. The church has always, though, uh, recognized she has the, the, the authority to determine within the limits of what Christ has established, so it's his action first, we're not Pelagians, right, that she can determine fine points of matter. So here's a good example. You said honey wheat bread, it's a great example. In Seattle, Washington, uh, the former bishop from the 70s and 80s, Hunthausen, okay? Oh, sure, I remember. Yeah, he presided over the diocese while a number of priests, I don't even know if it was the whole diocese, maybe, or many of the 
uh, parishes in the diocese were using honey wheat bread. Okay. And a number of the faithful who were more educated about these matters were concerned, and they wrote to Rome, and Rome was very concerned. This is during JP2's reign. Okay. So JP2 uh, determined, or maybe it was a congregation for the sacraments, which became Congregation for Divine Worship, but JP2 signed off on this, that that is invalid matter. So for months, if not a few years, there was no valid Eucharist when they were using Whoa. honey wheat bread because, because, because listen, metaphysically, that's, it's the issue, metaphysically. What gets changed into what? The substance of bread, not of honey, not of rice, not of chocolate chips. It's the substance of bread that gets turned into the substance of Christ's body. And if the, if the wheat bread is mixed in with, a, with too much, and when is too much is a difficult, perhaps, uh, line to determine, uh, foreign matter, then you can no longer just see it as just pure wheat bread. There's an analogous thing in baptism. Can you baptize with dirty water? Yes. But at a certain point, the dirty water becomes mud, and then you can't baptize with mud. Right. You have to somehow extract water from the mud, even if it's dirty. You see what I mean? So where is that metaphysical point where the matter changes into something metaphysically different than what it needs to be in order to be used properly? So this is just a funny side note, kind of sad actually, but um, JP2 sent Donald Whirl, Cardinal Whirl, oh, into, into, well, into Seattle to be the coadjutor bishop because he was orthodox. Yeah, of course. And he was going yeah. to replace Hunt, and he did. He replaced Hunthausen. He went on to Pittsburgh and just became really uh, somewhat of a champion of orthodoxy for a while. I don't know what happened yeah. there, but yeah, no, no, so, he was. Happened, he was. But... He, cer- he certainly was. I mean, but, but... you know, it, I, I I talk about this with people all the time because I'm in Pittsburgh. You know, like in Pittsburgh, like there there are issues, but I don't like. There's I there are a few glaring issues liturgically but for the most part he did clean that all up i mean yeah. there, there's no, really right. not a lot of wackiness yeah. here i mean i'm no yeah. fan by the way but but right, at right. the same time right he was he clearly was orthodox okay yeah, so yeah. Let, let me let me ask you this why wait there's why more is, needed though there's more needed so you have the proper minister the proper words the proper stuff uh but the minister has to intend you've heard this right intend yeah. to do what the church does right that's important um so uh if the minister intends to do something that, other than what the church does, you don't have a valid consecration. Now, does that mean if you're a heretic, uh, a priest is a heretic, there's no consecration? No, that's not what that means. The difference is intending to do what the church intends or intending to do uh, what the church does. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, so to do what the church does is just the external right. Yeah. is to use the right stuff, say the yeah. right words at the right time, and you're the proper person to do so, then you're intending to do what the church does. My colleague, Steve Hildebrand, gives a good example of, um, uh, uh, of this, an analogy. How can you intend to do what somebody does but not intend what they intend? Here's an example. Um, someone in his family, uh, an older person in his family, thinks that um, uh, if you... And maybe there's something to this, but he doesn't, Steve doesn't think so. Um, if you let a car run below halfway full of gas, okay, yeah. then it could damage the engine. So as soon as you uh, see the needle go under halfway full, you, you've got to fill the tank. You've got to, so yeah. if you're driving yeah. my car, Steve, you know, right. uh, you got to fill. And so look, he doesn't think that's correct, but he'll but out of respect to this person, he doesn't sure, feel like that's sure, a worthwhile sure. fight. You know, he's like, sure, I intend to do what he does, which is as soon as the tank is, you know, I'll fill it. But I don't intend 
what he intends, which is to save the engine because save the engine's going to be fine. You see, now that's kind yeah. of reverse, right? In this case, the the primary person may be mistaken, whereas in the church's case, the church is not mistaken. The church right. intends that this become the body and blood of Christ, whereas the minister may uh, lose their faith, and yet as long as they're intending to do what the church does, you still have a valid sacrament. It's sacrilegious because they're unbelieving. It's not the right kind of honor and love and worship we want to give to God, because that has to come from the heart, not just the lips and the external actions. Yeah. Should, so, should okay, both, okay, but, so, yeah. so, so does that extend ad nauseum? Like, so, like, I mean, you gave the example of a priest, like, losing his faith, which is a cop. I mean, it happens, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's yeah. something that happens in the history of the church. What about, like, an evil priest? Yeah, and then... And then Doesn't it, matter. As long as those conditions are in place, you have the Eucharist, but you have a very sad situation. Extreme examples would be a black mass, yeah, right. where a priest is participating in a satanic rite, and Jesus, G- see the, so, you know, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. So, <laughs> you know, Jesus is very hurt uh, by that, and, and you know, he, he is a human, and so he can be hurt, even though he's in heaven in his humanity enjoying the beatific vision, and as God being God, still, um, you know, he, he can be hurt. We can offend sure. him. And sure. um, that's not good. And part of this too, Dave, just makes me think, there's a cultural move in the last period of history, like 500 years, the modern period, has been a move away from a God-centered cosmos yeah. to a man-centered cosmos right. with the Enlightenment. We're talking about 500 years ago, with the Enlightenment. And, and the Enlightenment thinkers, Descartes and Kant and all these guys who had some good stuff, but the whole move was to center it on us, okay? And that, that is the air, the cultural air we breathe. We don't even know it's there, all right? That's the disposition we're in, and therefore we don't realize the most important thing here is not how I feel, but it's to show up and to thank Jesus, to praise him, to do penance, to offer up with the priest that sacrifice to the Father on the altar, which is the representation of the cross, Okay, and, and to make petitions, so to thank, to adore, to do penance, and make petitions, uh, and focused on God, not on on me, little old silly me, you know. Right. I think for our listeners, it's important to like reiterate what you just said that we don't even know, we have no clue that we are living in that. I mean, our we are the inheritance of Descartes, Kant, these guys who focus the whole world back on humanity. And I, I think this often. So you, you mentioned Dr. Hildebrand. I'm in one of his classes right now. And oftentimes he'll say things. And I, I literally think, man, I don't know what normal is. Like I grew up in a totally different, you know, I grew up in a totally different, uh, you know, background than what I would have understood. I, I'm understanding things differently. And I'm a, I've, I think I'm a good Catholic, you know? So it's like I'm continually kind of re- re-looking at things through his lens and stuff like that. So I, I right. you know, I, I think it's really important for us to realize that. You know, so when, no, I, I agree, and I see it myself all the time. Um, it's in our language, too. Uh, for, uh, it's, it's, a, it's in our patterns of thought, patterns of speech, everything. Um, you know, something else uh, that I think has contributed to this critical point that the Pew Research study shows that very few Catholics believe in the real presence is um, that there's that the discipline and correction of these errors has been spotty, right? Yeah. Right. I, I, uh, some of this is within the realm of prudential debate, right? So JP2 took a tack more of attracting rather than punishing. And that 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 attitude was set as we talked about in the last podcast with John the 23rd 
or maybe the last couple of them, we talked about John the 23rd saying that Vatican II, there will not be new anathemas. We're going to attract rather than to condemn. And there's that's not intrinsically wrong necessarily. I mean, right. uh, that's a prudential judgment call. And if you, if you correct quickly, so Hunthausen was, you could say he was disciplined by JP2 in the sense that he, he was replaced, he was kind of forced into retirement. But that's not the kind of traditional discipline that would happen in the church. You'd get a trial, a bishop would go on trial, and they could get excommunicated, or they would repent, that would happen sometimes. Um, so it didn't get triggered up to the nuclear, you know, button where they pre- press the, the button and, 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 and use the nuclear option. Um, almost never. Um, and so there's a, there's a criticism there that had these um, things been disciplined more quickly, more swiftly, more s- severely, perhaps it, uh, we, we wouldn't be, have the same problem. But the rejoinder to that, now I'm not sure what I think, okay? I do lean in the, more in the direction of, I wish there was a little more discipline. I do. But, sure. but at the same time, you know, it's easy to be an armchair critic of somebody with authority when you don't have, to, you don't have that on, you know, the whole thing's on the line and you're running it. You're running the yeah. show to some degree. I mean, Jesus is, but to some degree, I mean, you, it's on you. You got to own right, what's going on. There. Right. Yeah. And so let's say you, you do overplay the hand of discipline. That could create a, an atmosphere of fear. So I believe in the real presence, or I say I do, because I'm afraid. I guess that's better than <laughs> than not believing at all. But um, that but that's not, not the great, ideal. Right. No, right? That's not that's not the ideal. <laughs> yeah, and there. I mean, that's a that's an interesting. Uh, I mean, that we should have an episode on that because there there is a yes, lot of yeah. like discipline. Like one yeah. of one of my generation's criticisms of like older generations was. You know, well, you were just afraid of hell. I mean, that was you know, you read the yeah, Baltimore yeah, yeah. Catechism, yeah. and it's pretty stark, you know, and and you were just afraid of hell. It wasn't so much inspired by charity, but one of the things I, I would say, I, I've thought about this often with Pope John Paul II, um, was that it kind of it worked for him because he was a saint, and what I mean by that is he an entire generation of priests that were super faithful, right, to the magisterium. Like, so it did change the culture of the church. There's no question. But I don't know that it works in every case, you know. No, that's where, right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think that I think about that similarly with me, like, as a father. Like, yeah, I, I can lead by example, and if I'm really, really good at it, I maybe don't have to lay the hammer down. But right. I'm not. I'm not a saint, you know, and right. so I, I have to. So, And I, I me know. too. How many times have I erred it by excess of discipline or defective, not discipline enough? I mean, it is so hard, and, it, and as a parent, it just makes you realize, gives you the chance at least to realize, my goodness, these, these guys, uh, bishops, popes, we got it. We got to pray for them. They need a wisdom that far exceeds anything that, you know, we could acquire on our own. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've thought that over the last year a lot, that like, like I'm, I'm thankful I don't have to make these decisions, you yeah, know, that the bishops yeah, yeah, are yeah. making. I'm not crazy about the decisions they're making, but I'm thankful I'm not the one who has to make them. Right, no doubt. So what, uh, what? I mean, what is your experience in Pittsburgh and your parish with respect yeah. to this? Do you do you know what? Do you know what changed drastically our catechesis on? Uh, I'm talking about the the parish I was at for like nine years. And this parish, I always talk about it. It was like Camelot for me. Okay, we we lived next door. Nice. And my pastor, who's my best friend and close family friend, lived next to us, and he and he's a saint, uh, nice. no no question in my mind. And um, it it I will tell you honestly, anecdotally speaking, catechesis on the Eucharist at our parish drastically changed when we implemented twenty four hour adoration. It wow. drastically wow. changed. 
it was and i and and in a lot of ways like the conversation was taken off the table of whether this was really Jesus or not, because there was just no no, no question doubt that yeah, if that someone's point. getting up at three in the morning right. to come in a door, right? That it was just so. Practically speaking, I I I I look at this this problem particularly through the eyes of of faith. That like, look, just give it a chance. Believe what the church teaches and start receiving the Eucharist and be changed, and you're gonna it. I think I think about the the quote from Father Gary Lagrange, which I'll, I'll butcher, but basically he says, "Look, all the miracles of Jesus, including the resurrection, are amazing, but they're nothing compared to the miracle of your own resurrection." And I think that that's true. That even though there is a major catechesis problem, there's a major justice problem. There, there is. There's no question about that. The biggest problem is conversion. Like we 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 were not preaching conversion. You're you're, you're hitting the heart of it right again there, Dave. Thank you. Um, in the end, there's no purely human solution. Now, now we, we, we have to do our part, like you said, with discipline, justice, figuring that out, catechesis, yes, figuring that out. But in the end, we don't, by ourselves, all by ourselves, give the gift of faith. That gift of faith comes from Christ, and that's why I think, as in one, from one angle, 63% of weekly mass goers believing in the real presence seems, seems really pitiful. At the same time, it's fantastic, given... The, a lot of the corruption and and, and right. defects of discipline or catechesis that we're, we've been talking about, it's amazing. It's a miracle in a sense that they have that, and it, it, it testifies to the fact that it is faith, and Jesus is the one who gives it to us. If you like, right. you, you know, if you do Eucharistic adoration, people go. He he's going to give that faith. And by the way, this hits at, at one of the principal effects of the Eucharist. Okay, the the principal effect is not just that he's really present. He's really present for a further effect. He's present in the form of food, and the physical food is an ana- analogy that signifies and causes a spiritual reality, which is just like food nourishes your physical body to keep you healthy and grow, you know? Yeah. Jesus in the Eucharist is spiritual food for supernatural, spiritual food for the soul, so that we can grow in faith, hope, charity, and the other gifts, okay? And, and these are virtues we cannot acquire on our own. We can do we can help it out by catechizing, disciplining, whatever, but in the end it is a gift from God and we have to pray for that gift, pray for an increase of that gift. And if you want more faith, Lord, give me more faith, give me more love of you, receive the Eucharist worthily and he will feed you with those gifts spiritually. That's literally what this is for. It is a spiritual feeding. And I, and I think that for anyone wondering I, I think giving it a chance, making a retreat out of it and saying like, look, for, for this Lent, you know, I, I'm going to try my best to not sin, to have a prayer life outside of the Mass, and then to receive communion every day. You, I mean, it, it will change the way you feel about it. And I'm, I'm, right. and I'm still being changed, right? It's, it's not that I don't believe what the Church teaches, but I more firmly believe every time, you know, right. every time that change happens. So I think that's important. You know, one of the things I, I'd like to maybe next episode kind of carry this conversation over is the relationship between the incarnation and redemption and the Eucharist. And, uh, you know, the Eucharist is like we could see it as a sub, a sublime gift. He didn't have to do it this way, right? I mean, he didn't have to. Well, let's let's leave that for another episode because the incarnation is like kind of a really – uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Complicated topic, and you, that your class on Christology was like my favorite class ever. And I, 
there's a few things that I want to like clear up that I, I link to this issue here, you know, that I think would be great. So it, it's my favorite class ever, especially because it's Jesus. It's such a blessing. I can't even tell you if I weren't required to teach the faith day after day, after year after year, I don't know where I'd be in my, in my life. I mean, yeah. it's been such a transforming experience and so grateful. I'm so weak. I would be lost. I think the Lord is so merciful. Uh, I, I do, uh, I do talks on the, in the Thomistic Institute. That's uh, the sure, Dominicans yeah. out of D.C., but they have chapters all over the country in all these uh, secular universities. Yeah, they're doing great work now. They are. I'm, I'm going out to University of Iowa. Depending on when this podcast comes out, I may have already done it, but uh, at the end of March, right in Holy Week, and I'm giving a talk at the University of Iowa in the Thomistic Institute chapter there on the motives of the Incarnation and the uh, Paschal mystery as the kind of goal for the for the Incarnation, but I'm certainly going to bring in the Franciscan school to Bonaventure and Scotus. Why did Jesus become incarnate? But you're right, that's for a whole, that could be for a whole yeah. other uh, podcast. But it's really important, it's related to the Eucharist, right? There's certainly a sense in which he, he becomes incarnate to give himself to the Father, of course, on our behalf, but also to give himself to us to as us. our spiritual food. Right, and in this specific way, yeah, it's a strange. It's it's interesting. Anyways, I I hope that this. Uh, I mean, I I definitely learned a lot from this episode, which is frustrating because I think you know I'm teaching the faith and I'm like clarifying a lot of things for oh, we're, myself. So. We're always learning. <laughs> Me too. I am too. No, it's wonderful. Uh, so that's it's good. Wonderful. So join us next week, and we'll probably get into a little bit of the incarnation. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I hope that these podcasts have been fruitful for you. And again, uh, we don't have anything set up for you to write in any questions yet, but we will have that up soon. And we, uh, we hope that you'll pray for us and we'll be praying for you. God bless you all.